Are there certain kinds of people you would never date? If you came across, say, a smoker or someone inked up with tattoos or someone who was super religious, how would you swipe? After we broke up and before starting a relationship with my current partner, I was very adamant that I would never get into a relationship with someone with an already existing drug or alcohol addiction again. You know, the amount that he had gambled was actually, you know, nine month period. It was over a year worth of my salary at the time. Um, He invited me back to his house and within like 10 minutes he said, I smell smoke on your breath, that's a deal breaker, I think you should leave after this episode of Archer. (laughs) And it was rough. I think that when people hear right wing, immediately your thoughts sort of turn to ideas of, um, you know, really, really distasteful sort of people like uh, Pauline Hanson or even further to the right. Everyone has some kind of deal breaker. Those are just a few of the biggest ones for young people right now. But if you filter out a date by just one trait, could you be missing out on an overall great person for you? Then again, if you've had bad past experiences with a type, say a gambler or someone who's married, that may mean you aren't willing to go there again. And hey, that might be fair enough. So how far will an open mind take you in love? And how do you know whether you're being prejudiced or protecting yourself? Nat Tenchich here, and in this episode, we're going to suss out the people we're largely not at all open to dating and whether these deal breakers are justified. From people in committed relationships to people with very right-wing views, people who gamble and more, we'll investigate why we're turning certain people down, what it says about our changing society, and the big question, is it important to date with an open mind or is it overrated? The Australia Talks National Survey is a huge joint project between Vox Pop Labs and the ABC, and they asked 60,000 Australians about all sorts of aspects of their lives, from politics to work and, of course, relationships. And in this survey, young people were asked the question, if you weren't already in a relationship, how open would you be to dating several types of people to test where our prejudices lie? So who are we swiping right on and who's a no thank you ma'am? Generally speaking, many 18 to 24 year olds are very open to dating someone of a different race, ethnicity or cultural background. They're also super keen on atheists. You're largely at least somewhat open to dating someone with a mental illness, disability, left-wing views, someone with tats, someone who's bi and someone who's very religious or of a different religious background. People under 30 were generally more open-minded daters than their older counterparts, and we love to see it. I think what's really important is is to be open to the the three-dimensional, valuable and rich relationship that can come from meeting someone. And we're all a mixed bag of judgments and biases and possibilities. And so I think when you're considering your favourite list, of course, you're doing it as a kind of theoretical construct and you say, well, if I could have my way, I would screen out all these things or I would include all of these things. But what we know is that um, open-mindedness and curiosity and warmth towards others is, is part of how we really end up greeting people when we're at our best. And it is what makes communities work. So there's something about being flexible and generous to others and alert to one's own failings as an imperfect being that 
you know, it's a good place to start in relationships, isn't it? That's Relationships Australia CEO Elizabeth Shaw. She says young people tend to be more open-minded because we're less likely to have had experiences that have hurt us. You know, being open is part of embracing life and and sometimes I think at that age group when you're all too aware of your own sort of fragilities and failings, you know, that to say, well, look, you know, I'm I'm open to struggles people might have, I'm open to differences, I'm open to adventures and and new possibilities. There is there is that genuine curiosity about life, but there is also um, a, um, a fairness and a justice about um, about you know recognizing one's own struggles and saying, look, you know, other people are going to bring their own stuff, and and we can deal with it together, which I think is a great thing. And for many people, as they get older and they're rocked about by disappointments in life, or they have some breakups, or they have had poor workplace experiences, sometimes it actually means that they just shave off their generosity and start to become much more um, limited and brittle in the judgments that are that are made. I think we see all sorts of examples of that where people do rush to judgments, sometimes based on experiences that haven't been well processed and, uh, and it just carried around like a giant pile of baggage that's um, not digested properly. I think when you've been hurt a few times in relationships, sometimes that can mean when you're out looking, you've pruned your list down to the most limited number of things to say, if it's not this, then it's going to be hopeless. Whereas, you know, when you're starting out, sometimes, you know, you're more willing to see what comes. And that's a good thing because ultimately being trusting and being curious and being generous towards others is is generally better for us psychologically it's it um it gives us the chance to come across opportunities that we might have turned away from and it builds a better community so it's a it's a great way to be and when you look at our deal breakers that sort of checks out more than a third of young people draw the line at addicts smokers gamblers someone with very right-wing views someone in a committed relationship and more than one person So let's get into these categories, why we're more likely to turn them down and how to overcome our prejudices. A content warning here, we're starting with addiction and there's some painful conversation to be had. So if you're struggling with addiction or in a relationship with someone who is, you can find helplines and resources in the show notes. So the survey found that 44% of young people are not at all open to dating someone who smokes and women aged 18 and 24 are less open. 50% won't go there. Whereas for men of the same age, 37% won't date a smoker. Along the same lines of substance abuse, 38% of young people are not at all open and would absolutely not go there with someone who has an addiction, while 41% say a big no to dating gamblers. That might not come as a big shock to you. It certainly didn't to the hookup fam. We put the stats up on our Insta and a lot of people agreed that addiction was a big no-no. Smoker or drug user is the first thing I check on any dating app that has that filter or preference, even before age or kids. I'm not as fussed for friendships or casuals, but it's a no-go for serious partnerships and relationships. I started smoking when I was 20. I never really thought about having a relationship, or at least when I did, it kind of scared me because I didn't really know how someone would fit into my life that way. I would definitely describe my years of being a smoker as lonely, and I always usually blamed it on myself in the way I looked and all my personality as a reason for rejection. 
when in reality, my smoking habits were most likely the influence. So I've been smoking for about 10 years now, and when I met my ex, she knew that I was a smoker and would make it quite clear that generally she wouldn't date smokers because she absolutely hated cigarettes. But in this instance, she made the exception because she really liked me and wanted to continue dating. Fast forward to a few months later and she would constantly berate me about having a cigarette, smelling like cigarettes, or even just the thought about having a cigarette. She would make me feel like pure shit. And at the end of the day, it got the better of our relationship. I completely resented her for it. And so I left her. I do smoke normally, like at work and when drinking. But in my dating apps, I list I'm a non-smoker and won't pick up a ciggy during the time I'm seeing someone. Like, I was dating a person for three months and didn't touch one when I was around them. But, yeah, once it's over, I'll go back to smoking. The reason why I don't say I'm a smoker on the apps is because I feel like if I'm classified as a smoker, there would be instant dismissal for any further pursuits to any deeper substance to me. When dating, I'm straight up with the fact that I'm a smoker. It's something I learned I got to tell people early on or even put that preference in dating apps because I did have a bad experience one time when I first started dating. Uh, long story short, I was really excited for my first date ever, um, but the guy was a bit of an asshole all night and I didn't know why. Um, he invited me you know, back to his house and within like 10 minutes he said, I smell smoke on your breath, that's a deal breaker, I think you should leave after this episode of Archer. <laughs> and it was rough. Um, I get people's aversion to it, but I was a 21-year-old on his first date, and I felt like I'd done something really wrong. Anyway, now I'm really upfront about it, but I do wonder if it does limit my dating pool, since some people really hate smokers. Personally, I wouldn't ever date an addict again. I, um, I understand addiction stems from trauma a lot of the time, but I suffered my own trauma from dating someone who developed an addiction and there was domestic violence, financial abuse, like they almost bankrupted me. So it's something I can't go back to really and I would definitely make sure I suss it out early on in a relationship. I was in a relationship with someone for a bit over two years um, who was highly dependent on cannabis. He would smoke it every single day um, before work sometimes even while he was at work um, and definitely every evening he lost jobs over this he became incredibly paranoid um, his mood swings were completely unpredictable his memory was shocking like he would forget appointments daily he just his brain was not working every time that he would try and quit I would dread the week that was happening because he would have incredibly aggressive outbursts. Um, since then I've been on a couple of dates with some guys who have been open about their drug use and addiction. I recently went on a date with a guy who told me during dinner that he was a recovering methamphetamine addict. I was really appreciative of his honesty, but with my experience with drug addiction, I'm not in a position to support someone to that extent. I met someone online about three years ago and we started to really get to know each other and realized our connection pretty much straight away. Not long after, she informed me that she was in rehab and had been there for four months. 
she thought I wouldn't talk to her anymore because of the stigma surrounding addiction but I ensured her that I wasn't going anywhere and showed her compassion. But two months later, she was out of rehab and we started dating. Inevitably, we broke up about three months later because it was just too hard for her to date and focus on her sobriety at the same time. I was ready to fully support her, but in hindsight, I do believe that she needed to take her own journey. Would I date someone in active addiction? Probably not because that usually means they have a lot of self-healing to work through and the situation can become quite toxic. My ex had a bad drug addiction. I was incredibly supportive in terms of trying to get him help and sticking by him, but in the end, he was too destructive and the addiction was just too destructive to the relationship. After we broke up and before starting a relationship with my current partner, I was very adamant that I would never get into a relationship with someone with an already existing drug or alcohol addiction again. I still stick to that rule today and would just advise anyone the same. I don't think it's fair on anyone involved in the relationship and I think it can create a very dangerous, unstable and emotionally abusive environment in the relationship. However, I'm incredibly understanding that addiction is a complicated disease, not an excuse, which can control and consume anyone. So staying open-minded and creating support for people with addiction is vital, but just always be aware of your boundaries. We also heard from hookup listener Liz, who would never date someone who gambles again after a horrible experience with a past seven-year relationship. So I have actually dated an addict before, I was in a seven-year relationship with a gambling addict um, and for me the main issue was not so much the addiction itself um, I really did empathize with him um, about his struggles um, and how hard that was to manage um, but really to be honest it was more about the deceit and the lying so I discovered the addiction about six months before the end of our um, relationship and it really went downhill from there. I uh, realised that, uh, you know, the amount that he had gambled was actually, um, you know, nine-month period. It was over a year worth of my salary at the time, uh, and I found it really hard to grasp not only how he uh, had wanted to keep this from me, but how that could affect my future as well in terms of, you know, us buying a house together or, you know, investing in any, anything like that. So that was really the main issue for me, the lies and the deceit. I also think in terms of dating, again, I do have a lot of trust issues um, in general, unfortunately, um, because of the end of that relationship. But I think also, you know, I would really think I would avoid dating a particular gambling addict unless I had a really good uh, understanding of how they were managing that. But I really think it's a bit of a um, a boundary for me that I, I really wouldn't want to cross. Um, and I think, it, to be honest, it's a bit of a deal breaker for me. It's clear why we're not keen to go there. But as we heard from Elizabeth Shaw earlier, you never know the whole of what you're missing out on when you filter out all smokers or gamblers. Well, look, I I think, again, when we're just measuring people against our wish list and on on, um, dating apps, because it can feel like there's a smorgasbord of possibilities. So you can also feel like 
you can be a bit brittle with your judgment because there's plenty more where that came from, you know. So you can also not be aware of the ramifications of your judgment because other people just pop up in your feed. What you don't know is if you actually met all of those people at a party, you might find that the smoker, for example, was actually the most interesting, engaging and attractive person at the party, but they happen to be smoking. But you've you've already weeded them out on the app. Um, so I guess what, what you don't know is whether that ever really matters. Um, the plus side is that if you do know, for whatever reason, that smoking or addictive behaviours really are a deal breaker for you, you're also not wasting anyone's time by going down those tracks. And you could have really good reasons for saying no to those things. It doesn't mean that you're generally a judgmental person. There's also probably, you know, some evidence that those could be legitimate red flags too. But in this case, we can see where the hesitation comes from, especially if you've had bad experiences in the past. Here's Elizabeth again. I guess you've got to know whether, you know, generally you are a closed-minded person or if you know you are making this particular judgment for good reasons. So say, for example, you've grown up in a family where addiction was a traumatic experience and you just have decided that you never want to be part of that in your life. Well, if it's the one thing that you can take care of as best as you can, then then that could be very good judgment because going around repeating mistakes isn't very useful either. Um, so there's somewhere between just being unnecessarily and arbitrarily judgmental, which is, um, you know, a harsh uh, view which can lack compassion and lack sort of relationship texture through to making good decisions that are in your own interest. You know, you're sort of somewhere between those two extremes. Um, there were some examples there where people had grown up with some traumatic experiences and, and that really shapes you, as I said, if you've had addiction in the family um, of any sort or in previous relationships. There's all sorts of things that we might be very compassionate towards in terms of the community generally, in terms of people we work with, in terms of even our best friends. It's quite different about would you date this person because what you're really doing is saying, would I put my heart on the line in these circumstances or would I put my body on the line? Um, and that is quite different because, um, uh, because we don't always have room for that sort of behavior when we're trying to leave as much room for intimacy um, and and it's true enough that what you get involved with at that intimate level, you, it, it is smart to be a little bit more careful about what you take on. Yeah, like open-mindedness can take you so far, but you have to really protect yourself, I suppose, in, in well, particular situations like this. Exactly. It's not about suddenly being closed-minded. It's about being self-protective. You're exactly right. And it's, it's smart to be self-protective. That doesn't mean you move to a position of hating or judging others. It's about saying, what, what is it that I can cope with? What, what can help me lead um, the best life that I need to lead? And that isn't about necessarily being selfish. That's also about being empowered and um, physically and emotionally whole and working in your own interests. Um, I don't think that's always about being selfish or self-interested. It's actually about being strong and, um, and, and trying to be wise in your choices. And we would want that for people. So with all that being said, 
around 60% of young people are still at least somewhat open to dating someone with an addiction. But what about someone in a committed relationship or more than one person? That's a way harder sell. Nearly 80% of young people will not go for someone in a committed relationship, while 62% of 18 to 24s won't date more than one person at a time. Young people are more open to non-monogamy, ethical or otherwise, than people older than 40, but it's still a no-go for the majority. I've definitely been in relationships uh, with people who were just opening up for the first time and then, you know, took a chance to, to date them. And then as soon as they started dating another person besides me and that person wanted to be monogamous, uh, they broke up with me, which was devastating. That's Jenna Trossel. She's a relationship counsellor specialising in polyamorous relationships. She's ethically non-monogamous herself and says she's seen a lot of crap and closed-mindedness dating as a polyam person. I also was in a triad for a little while and they went overseas. Uh, I, I like encouraged them to, to go overseas together and they decided that they had too much fear around uh, being non-monogamous and wanted to be exclusive together and broke up with me on the trip. <laughs> From a super young age, Jenna knew she was suited or attracted to polyamory. But of course, at the time, there wasn't really a lot of visibility or a word for it. I was always really interested in in multiple people at once. And I just felt so much shame about it because I didn't have any models for me. And and I didn't have anybody to to look at to go, oh, this is actually really normal. Um, And and it, it it wasn't until I read Sex at Dawn, I think, that I was like, oh, there's a word for this. And maybe I am not actually a bad person for for liking more than one person, because whenever I tried to be monogamous, I just ended up feeling guilty for being attracted to other people outside of my relationship. And that shame stems from what Jenna calls mononormativity. Yeah, so mononormativity is that idea that monogamy is the way to find true love. Um, People talk about the relationship escalator, which is the idea, you know, that you meet someone and that's the bottom of the escalator you decide to date them and you get on the escalator and then you might um start having sex you go up a little bit you 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 might move into uh together you, you're you know the escalator's progressing you have a dog or a pet or something and then you guys decide to get married then you have kids and it ends at the top with death uh <laughs> And Hooray, that's the, the way to, yeah, <laughs> that's success is, you know, you've stayed together the whole, your whole lives and you've died together. And that's the only way that, you know, true love ends. Um, and that doesn't have to be the way to have a successful relationship. Uh, and I think a lot of polyamorous people really question that assumption and find um, successful relationships in a variety of different uh, techniques. And, and it looks very different to, to different people. So yeah, while she's had some rough experiences, uh, getting dumped by your partners while they enjoy an overseas trip has got to be up there. She knows that there are so many pros and beautiful moments to be had as someone who dates multiple people at one time. And it can be successful. It's a really great way to get more of your needs met. Um, You know, like for me, uh, I was dating one person who... uh, was a very very much a foodie at one point and, and another person who was a very picky eater and so I would go to like the really cool restaurants with the, with the first person and I would like play board games and like have chess nights and stuff with this other person and that worked out really well so I could you know get more of my needs met there. I have a nesting partner right now um, who you know we're, we're committed to spending the rest of our lives together and I have a, a girlfriend 
um, who I see, you know, once every two weeks uh, and, and we go for hikes and go exploring. And it's very much like a relationship buffet that I get to take different parts of uh, what I want with different people. And we all get to choose like what parts of the buffet match. Um, but there are also people who are in triads that have lasted for years uh, that have really successful triads too. So if it's all above board and there's not a cheating sitch going on, how might you be more open-minded about non-monogamy? It's all about having that conversation with your partner and working together. Saying, hey, you know, if I'm attracted to somebody else, it's, it's not a reflection on you. Like, I feel really secure in this relationship. And also, I think that I have other things to explore with other people. And I think that you might have other things to explore with other people, and that's okay. You know, I think that if all parties in the relationship are working on it with each other and not demanding that, you know, they need to look a specific way or, or act a specific way, then it can actually be quite successful. The last big note for young people is people with very right-wing views. 64% of women and 31% of men aged 18 to 24 say they'll never go there. Contrast this with someone with very left-wing views. A third of young people are very open to dating a hard lefty, while only 11% are not at all open. But when you contrast what those views actually say about your values and could tangibly mean for your way of life, this might make some sense. Kashmir Miller is a young Greens party member who dates with her politics front and centre. She says for someone like her, a queer young woman, very right-wing views are materially threatening. Politics forms a large part of my identity and my beliefs because for me, as especially with women and other groups such as Indigenous people and LGBTQI plus people, some of your rights really depends on politics for things like gay marriage and law reform around domestic violence. So for me, I do often lead with that when meeting new people of my beliefs. I wear my heart on my sleeve in that aspect. So dating somebody on the right, I don't think I could imagine me being with somebody that did not share my life passions. Zedekiah Sparks is a young conservative. He classifies himself as socially conservative and believes that marriage is between a man and a woman, he's anti-abortion and anti-euthanasia. Now, he hasn't had as much trouble dating as he might think, but he can understand the sentiment. When I first heard the statistic, I was, I was surprised because in my experience that hasn't at all been the case. And in fact, some of my some of my most enjoyable and um, most successful uh, relationships and, and dates and friendships have been with people who uh, are probably far more to the left than most. I haven't dated anyone where our politics have ended the relationship. Um, you know, I've, I've had one or two, and it's an incredible minority of encounters where someone has sort of uh, dismissed me outright because of uh, politics or whatever. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I was a bit surprised by the statistic, but um, I, I'm not surprised people probably answered that way. There's a, a quote from um, a conservative philosopher, Roger Scruton, and he says that left-wing people find it very hard to get on with right-wing people because they believe that right-wing people are evil. Uh, whereas I have no problem getting on with left-wing people because I simply believe that they are mistaken. Uh, and so that's what he had to say about it. But um, I think that I think that when people hear right wing, um, you know, immediately your thoughts sort of turn to ideas of um, 
of you know people on the far right uh, or you know really really distasteful sort of people like a uh, Pauline Hanson or e- even further to the right. I now want you to meet Chris. He's a young gay liberal who has encountered much more closed-mindedness in his dating experiences and it has been hurtful. I definitely encounter a lot more you know, a lacking of openness amongst gay people and I think you know it's been mentioned earlier that it can be linked to you know people really strongly their ideology and their identity can be quite interlinked. For me it's linked but not I don't see any conflict between you know my views as a, a young liberal albeit you know, quite a moderate young liberal as conflicting with my sexual identity. Um, I definitely have encountered people, you know, on dating apps and that sort of thing that, you know, I don't bring politics up, but as soon as it does come up, if I do express, you know, where I sit on that spectrum, some people are either totally closed off or, you know, some people are open to it, but I've definitely experienced plenty of people being closed off to the idea. Yeah, well, I mean, as you said, you're kind of in the more moderate space, like, do you find that people you date like assume your views are more extreme than they really are? A hundred percent. I think the moment anyone hears young liberal, they immediately go to the far extremes of the spectrum. They don't, you know, a lot of people show very little interest in actually knowing what my views are on things, which, you know, if they did, they'd actually realize we actually probably agree on quite a lot, you know, despite wherever you do sit on the political spectrum. When it comes to being more open-minded, Zed says people don't look past his position on the political spectrum to the intentions behind his beliefs. And if they did, he thinks they would have more in common. I think that labels like right-wing and left-wing don't necessarily tell you a whole lot about uh, individual policy position uh, or politics. I think it's much, much more informative about approach to things. Mm. Um, and it's really, really interesting um, how you touched on values because I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that values have to be compatible for friendships and for relationships to work. Um, and so what matters, I think, is those values and the intentions behind um, behind your politics. For, for myself, at least, I've found that there are plenty of um, times where, you know, with other right-wingers, um, perhaps, perhaps we both identify as right-wingers, but our intentions or our values don't lie in the same place. The, you know, the, my, mine tend to lie in compassion or in... Um, uh, very much in sort of dignity being a very important thing. Um, and a lot of the time I find myself uh, having sharing those values with people of the left. So I think that while the approaches can be different, I absolutely agree it's the values that matter. But what about the most extreme right-wing views, the kinds you find on Parler or at an anti-mask or anti-BLM rally? Steering away from those kinds of people might be another case of self-preservation, according to Kashmir. I think that is the main barrier for me, is the real implications of these differing opinions that I care so deeply about. So it's not so much about putting a label on people and excluding a certain label of people. It's about how these things impact us on a very real level. I don't want to have to feel like I'm fighting for a lot of the things that I believe in with somebody that I want to be sharing my life with. And obviously that would not be the case for every right-wing person, but in my personal experience, that's just what I've felt when I've encountered those people. And that's totally valid. But you can't know it's always going to be a fight unless you really give someone a chance. 
Everyone has a different story and it's important to not make snap judgments about people before you know it. Here's Elizabeth Shaw again. Sometimes if you're just really hurt and maybe you don't really know what happened and you can't really understand it, then rushing to those snap conclusions can give you some comfort. You know, okay, well, if I can work out it was these three concrete facts, then I can weed that out in the future. Because the reality is that relationships break up for lots of different complicated and sometimes quite nuanced reasons. And sometimes we don't entirely understand. It was just, it was not a good fit for a whole range of things. So I think part of the problem is that we don't take enough time to digest what happened and work through the hurt and try and be stronger in ourselves. What we do is we instead turn all that into judgment about the other. Well, I'm going to not have that sort of person in the future and instead I'm going to have that sort of person instead of, well, what have I learned and what can I bring to the situation that could give me a bit more control and a bit more sort of confidence in myself. Um, and it's not about the other person and their characteristics necessarily. Um, it, it could be about a whole range of other things. So I hope you date with an open mind while finding that balance of looking after yourself and upholding your boundaries. And if you nail it, let me know. Message The Hookup on Instagram at Triple J The Hookup or email thehookup at abc.net.au. You can also suggest a topic or get some help with the love, sex or relationship problem you're having. I'm open to anything. Catch you next time.